Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you put your hands together? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise all over this house. Come on, why don't you, why don't you do it as unto the Lord? Hallelujah. He's a great God. He's a great God. You know what? Bible says we're not promised tomorrow. You might as well give it all you got tonight. Hallelujah. You might as well give it everything you have. Tomorrow's not promised. Amen. I might as well give him my best praise. I might as well give him the best I have to offer because God has been good to me. He woke me up this morning. He put breath in my body. Come on, I walked through these doors today. I might as well give Jesus everything I have. Hallelujah. All over the house, one more time. Lift your hands, lift your voice, and magnify Jesus with me. Come on, we want his presence here. We want his spirit to flow. We want his anointing to flow. We want to leave out of here wiser and stronger by the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hallelujah. One more time, clap your hands. Give God the praise. Hallelujah. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's open to Genesis chapter 1. And also, we're going to open to Matthew chapter 16. Genesis chapter 1. And then we'll jump to Matthew chapter 16. And while you're turning there, I want to say again how good it is to be here with you tonight. Amen. Amen. It doesn't take very long uh, being here with you at ARC to fall in love with this place and to be in awe of what God is doing. And I'm thankful, amen, uh, for the trust of your pastor in his absence. And I, want, I do want to give both of them honor. Um, it's, been, it's been nice to be around them and to feel the burden and the love they have for this church and for Carson City. And I'm thankful, amen, to be with you here tonight. <coughs> We're thankful for the faithful saints of God, and I believe I have a word of God for someone tonight. Amen. Anybody going to help me preach tonight? Amen. Amen. And I would be remiss if I didn't say how good it is to have my family here with me. Amen. Amen. And um, traveling, sometimes your family's not able to come. And I will say it's a lot better for them to be with me, amen, than to be away. And I love them very much. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 4. And then Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 26. If you have it, say amen. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided, everybody say divided, the light from the darkness. Jumping to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 26. The Bible says, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross and follow me, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose, everybody say lose, his life for my sake shall find it. For what is it, what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Amen. With the help of the Holy Ghost, amen. If you don't have the Holy Ghost tonight, Tonight is a good night to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I want to preach with the help of the Holy Ghost from this thought, the blessing of subtraction. The blessing of subtraction. Can you set your Bibles down? One more time, help me pray. God, we love you and we thank you for your spirit that we feel in this place. We're thankful, God, that you would take the time to visit with your people. I pray, Lord God, that somehow, some way. Not by my words, not by my intellect, but by the spirit and the power of the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. You would accomplish your will in this place. That your people would leave here with the proper perspective what you're doing in their lives. And leave here saying, Lord God, that it's a blessed thing when things are taken away. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. Everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. One more time, clap your hands unto Jesus. Amen. It feels good in the house of the Lord. It feels good in the house of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. 
And I do want to give honor to your music team and, and all the ministering team and your pastor's um, absence. Amen. It sounded good. It felt good. Amen. And we're thankful for people who step in the gap and fill in, and um, we give you honor tonight. Amen. Tonight we're going to talk about the blessing of subtraction. Um, I want to start in the book of Genesis to fully establish a foundation for what God has laid on my heart to share with you this evening. Genesis, as we know, is the book of beginnings and is one of the most important books in all of the Bible. I believe all the principles and truths that we uncover throughout the Word of God in its entirety can be found in seed form in the book of Genesis. With how vitally important this book is, one thing I find interesting is that the start to Genesis seems to be a paradox or a contradiction to what we find later in the Word of God. This book of great order of types and shadows, beautifully structured poems and history actually starts in chaos. Genesis chapter 1 verse 3 sets the stage of creation in a place that was without form and void, with darkness covering the face of the deep. The Bible says that it's over this chaotic environment that the Spirit of God began to move. Now there is a powerful revelation to be had here. The word moved comes from the Hebrew word rakaf, which literally means to hover. And so through careful examination, the picture that is being painted in the opening scriptures of our Bible is one of God hovering over chaos and darkness. But rest assured that this hovering was not a picture of a confused God nervously contemplating what to do with the chaos that lay before him. But this word hovering is actually conveying that God was hovering in preparatory anticipation. In simpler words, this hovering is literally indicating a God poised to begin to create and bring order to the chaos and the darkness that lay before him. Now, this is not what we are preaching from tonight, but I do want to stop for a moment and encourage those of you who, if you're honest, can look at the canvas and landscape of your life and see darkness and unfilled potential. And to those who are fearful, standing in the middle of seasons of uncertainty, not understanding why it seems like you've been placed in a tumultuous environment. Amen. Let the voice of this preacher break through the storm and raging seas of your life and let you know that the God we serve still knows what to do with chaos that the God we serve still knows what to do with dark situations. And his hovering is not a hovering of confusion. But when God begins to hover in your life, it's because he's about to move. And that's why right after this hovering, the Bible says, God says, let there be light. Amen. And let me just say, just because you are in a new year doesn't mean that all of us are in new situations. There's some of us that are still facing battles that started last year. There are some of us facing chaos and darkness from things that transpired weeks or months or even years ago. But allow me to be so bold as to proclaim into your world this evening that God is not intimidated by your dark situation and that God is not intimidated by your past. And God is not confused about the dilemma in which you find yourself. Amen. The God we serve is not biting his nails, wondering what to do with the chaotic environment of your life. But I've come to preach to you tonight that God is hovering and he's ready to create something beautiful in your life. Hey, I just want to let someone know tonight that God is about to shine light in your darkness and that in one moment God can turn your situation around. Amen. Hear me that God can bless you in the middle of the mess you're going through. That God doesn't have to take you out of trouble in order to bring in light. But when God speaks, it happens. Amen. When he wills it, it is done. That's why Psalm 23 and 5 says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. What is scripture letting us know? That God does not have to take you away from your enemies in order to prepare a table. Amen. To provide for you. 
What he's saying is I could prepare a place of sustenance in the middle of your valley and in the middle of your storm and in the middle of your darkness. Amen. This is important for someone to know because a lot of us are praying, God, take me out. God, take me out so you can bless me. Take me out so that you can use me. Take me out so that I can walk and I can think clearly. And what God is trying to reveal to you tonight, I don't have to take you out. I can bless you in the middle of what you're going through. I've come to preach the storm. The storm is where you see the miracle. Peter walked on water, amen, in the storm. They saw miracles when all hell was breaking loose. And you need to leave here understanding that God can do something wonderful. In the middle of what you're going through, clap your hands and give God the glory all over this house. Amen. And so God is hovering because he's about to move and he's going to bring order and peace in the chaotic darkness in your life. In spite of this interesting start to the word of God, what transpires next may be even more perplexing than the opening verses. Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 verse 4 that God saw the light that it was good and God divided the light from the darkness. God creates light and he does not begin adding to this light. God creates light and the Bible does not tell us that he begins to multiply. Bible tells us that God creates light and he does not instantaneously begin creating animals, vegetation, and humanity. But right after God creates light, and after seeing that it was good, marking his intention for his creation, the first thing that God does is divide the light from the darkness. And I want you to catch this because this is the foundation and the heart of this entire sermon tonight, that the first thing God does after creating is to begin to separate. He separated and divided light from darkness. Not only that, but as you continue to read, the Bible tells us in verse 6 and 7 that God continues this process of division and separation as he separates and divides the waters above from the waters beneath. And it's from this principle that God begins the process of creation, of vegetation, mountains, valleys, animals, and stars. And watch this. It's not until verse number 22 that God looks at the vegetation and the creatures in the water and in the firmament and tells them to be fruitful and multiply. God divided and separated in verse 4, but it's not until verse 22 that God begins the process of multiplication. Amen. Let me preach to you this simple revelation to give you insight into the character and nature of God, that before God can ever multiply, reproduce, and bless your life and bless your world, there first must always be a process of division and separation. And the reason a lot of us fail to see the blessings and the favor of God poured out in our life is because we're praying for multiplication in an environment that is chaotic and out of order. I heard this analogy a few years ago, and I want to use it here tonight. How many of us, raise your hands, you saw a vending machine, and it said out of order, would take your money and invest into that vending machine? How many of us would take our hard-earned money and put it in a machine that was broken, that didn't have the capability of giving us a return on our investment? In the same manner, why would God pour out his favor, his strength, his blessings, and his joy, and his peace when our temple is out of order? If we want God to invest in us, we must establish order and an environment that is conducive to the flow of God's power and the miraculous in our life. Hear me, and often order comes from allowing God to come into our lives and begin to separate and divide some things in our life and in our heart. Amen. Let me preach to you this evening that before God will ever bless and multiply in your life, you first, hear me, have to allow God to subtract and to take some things away. And when you understand this, you'll understand that subtraction is not to harm, but subtraction is a blessing. Amen. Let's clap our hands unto God. Amen. Somebody hear me. I want to speak to you in the Holy Ghost. Don't stop God from taking things away from your life. Don't stop God 
from taking friends away that are detrimental to the calling he has ordained for you to walk in. Don't stop God from removing certain cultures and influences out of your life. Don't stop God from separating and removing parts of you that don't fit into the plan that he has for your life. Young people, don't get mad when God says no to certain relationships. Amen. I understand that it's not always comfortable, but the Bible tells us that our God is a consuming fire. And let me tell you, the fire will burn up all that isn't necessary to the next phase of your walk and the next level of your calling. Amen. But when you go through the fire, the Bible says you'll come out as gold and you'll come out as a good vessel that has the ability for God to pour into. This isn't popular preaching. We like to go to church and hear about how we'll be blessed and how we'll prosper and how God is going to give thousands of dollars to us. But hear the voice of this preacher. Amen. God will first take away before he blesses. God will first remove before he adds. Amen. I understand we live in a world that just wants to be blessed. A world and a culture that only wants to accumulate and acquire more and more and more. But hear me. This never-ending pursuit of more is destroying lives and homes. And if we're not careful, we can let this spirit creep into our spiritual life and into the sacred walls and boundaries of our church. This desire for more and instant gratification can lead to us becoming impatient with God's timing and with God's plan and with God's process. And it can lead us to trying to take matters into our own hand and lead to a lack of trust in God to fulfill his promises and his plans in our life. I believe this world we live in is programming us to want more and to want better, that oftentimes it causes us to feel ungrateful and indifferent to the simplicity of some of the blessings that God, amen, is doing incrementally in our life. And if we are not careful, we will learn to despise the day of small things because we desire overnight success and instant reward to the labor and the work we put in. And this desire for more is working overtime to permeate the church and infiltrate our spirits. We want more and we resist at times and fight God when he tries to take something away. What it does is it makes us feel as if God does not have our best interests in mind. And it's in these moments, just like Eve in the garden, the enemy makes us feel as if God is holding something back or taking some type of dream or freedom away from us. But tonight I've come to preach to someone who is confused about what God is doing in your life. And you're wondering why it seems as if the more you pray and the more you commit yourself to the house of God and the work of God, the more it seems like you lose things in your life. And the more you pray for a blessing, the more it seems that God takes things away. I've come to preach to the despondent one. I haven't come tonight to preach to the one that has it all together. But I've come to preach to the one that's on their last rope and the one who feels like you've taken all all you can take. Uh, amen. God sent me here tonight with the clear assignment uh, to encourage you and give you the proper perspective uh, of what God is doing in your life. Uh, hear the voice of this preacher. God is not doing these things to hurt you. Uh, God is not doing these things to tear you down. Uh, but often before God blesses, uh, he first has to take some things out. Uh, and before God can give you the desires of your heart, uh, he has to remove the things uh, that would prohibit or be counterintuitive. Uh, to the moving and the working of his spirit. Uh, I'm preaching tonight about the blessing uh, of subtraction uh, and trying to let someone know in this house tonight uh, that what often precedes the move of God uh, is the removal of things that hinder his spirit from flowing. Uh, hear me, God does not take away to harm you, uh, but God takes away to bless. Uh, and what we have to realize is that oftentimes, watch this, God takes away uh, to give you something better. Uh, amen. And we have to understand, uh, amen, and that oftentimes a calling out precedes a calling in before before Israel could get into the promised land, they first had to come out of Egypt. I'm telling you, there are people that were comfortable in Egypt. They had a routine in Egypt. But God says, I have something better for you. And if you want what I have for you, you got to come out and go through the wilderness to get to the promised land. I'm preaching to someone right now. God is doing something to in your life. He's not bringing you to a wilderness to die, but he's bringing you to, through the wilderness to get to a land that's flowing with milk and honey. 
that God has to remove us out of things to bring us to the place that he has prepared for us. Let me tell you why I'm preaching this tonight. Not because there isn't better things to preach. Amen. I, I don't know about you, but I don't really like hearing that God has to take things away. Amen. But I'm going to tell you why I'm preaching this tonight. Not for popularity, but I'm preaching this. Hear me, because I want God's people blessed. And I don't want the people of God getting bitter when God removes and when God says no, because subtraction comes before multiplication. And it's my prayer that by the end of this night, we leave here with the understanding that it's a blessing when God takes away, that there's a blessing in subtraction. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and then I will receive you. He's saying you got to come out before I can receive you, before I can make my plans known, before I can make my presence felt, before I can bring you to the place I prepared for you, you first have to come out. I feel the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hear me. God isn't just good when he blesses. Amen. But God is good when he takes away. I feel the spirit of Job in this house that says the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. And I wish that someone in the building would grab a hold of this revelation that when God gives, blessed be the name of the Lord. When God takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm not just going to bless God when he gives, but even even when he takes away, uh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, amen. I'm preaching to someone. You ought to shout like you shout when God blesses you. Uh, when he takes it, you ought to run like you run when he blesses you. Uh, you ought to lift your hands. Uh, Woo, I feel the Holy Ghost. You ought to thank God when he says no. You ought to thank God when he takes people away. You got to thank God when he takes jobs away. You may not understand in the moment, but every time God says no, because there's something better in store. And I wish someone would stand to their feet, clap their hands and lift up their voice all over this house and say, Lord, you give and you take away, but blessed be your name. Come on, somebody say it in the middle of your darkness right now. God, you give and you take away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm not going to let my circumstance, amen, determine how I praise God. I don't praise God, amen, just because of what I have. I praise God because of who he is. That means even when life is hard, I worship and praise God. Even when I'm confused, I worship it. Praise is your way out. Praise is your way out. Somebody ought to say thank you, Jesus, in the middle of the valley. It's easy to shout on the mountaintop. It's easy to worship when there's money in the bank account. But how do you praise him when things are taken away? How do you praise him when family walks out on you? How do you You give and you take away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm preaching this because time and time again, as you read through the word of God, every time Israel opened their mouth to complain, they stayed still. They didn't go anywhere. They didn't walk forward into the promised land. You know what complaining does? You know, no, you know what bickering and complaining about God does? It causes you to be stagnant. And where there's stagnation, there's no life, there's death. You're either growing or you're dying. And I'm preaching to somebody, if you choose to praise and not complain, if you choose to bless, amen, and not to bicker, you're going to live and you're not going to die and you're going to see the goodness of the Lord. Clap your hands and give God the glory. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This concept of subtraction being a blessing, not just limited to the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament, we see this clearly at play. In the setting of our text we took in the book of Matthew, we find the earthly ministry of Jesus in full swing, rapidly starting to approach its final stages. What we find in the scripture text we took in Matthew is a statement by Jesus that once again seemed radical 
and backwards to the norm of the people and the culture of that day. These statements that Jesus made are sayings that have caused a lot of people to look at the earthly ministry of Jesus as the upside-down kingdom. You see, the way that, that the children of Israel always viewed the Messiah when he came was that he was going to be a dominant military leader and king who would deliver the people of God from all those that afflicted them in bondage and, and place them back into their rightful place as the most dominant earthly kingdom. What they were expecting was a world leader who would be above all other world powers. They were simply focused on an earthly kingdom, even the disciples of Jesus. That's why in spite of all the teachings of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, in spite of him informing them time was rapidly approaching, that, they that he would baptize them with the Holy Ghost, watch this, that right before Jesus ascends into heaven, they would ask in Acts 1 and 6, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? In spite of all that had transpired before their eyes, they were still fixed on an earthly kingdom when God came to establish a heavenly kingdom, which would be instituted by his church. And so this is why Jesus would say a lot of things that were so polarizing and unprecedented during his ministry. And this is why people call it an upside-down kingdom. Because while everyone was transfixed on an earthly kingdom, God was focused on a heavenly kingdom. And that kingdom would not be built according to what seemed logical and sensible. And so what you'll see is you'll see Jesus in this kingdom reversing what seemed like common practice and standard for the day. It literally was an upside-down kingdom. In this heavenly kingdom, if you wanted to become a leader, you must first become a servant. If you wanted to get back at your enemy, you did it through love and not through hate. If you wanted to become rich, you had to give money away. In the Beatitudes, he says it's actually the poor in spirit that will inherit the kingdom of God. Amen. He said the meek are the ones that are going to inherit the earth. And that when you're persecuted, you are blessed because of that persecution. He would teach that you need to pray and fast in secret to be rewarded openly. And he would use this phrase, you have heard it said, and then point out that in the kingdom of heaven, the reverse is true. For example, in Matthew 5, 33 through 37, he says, you have heard that it has been said of them of old time, that thou shalt forswear thyself, forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool. You see this all throughout the ministry of God, where he says, actually, the reverse is true. All throughout the Sermon on the Mount and throughout his ministry, he would establish this upside-down kingdom. And the same holds true for our scripture text we took in Matthew 16. He says that to follow him, you have to deny yourself. And then he says that if you want to find your life, you need to lose it. But that if you lose your life for his sake, that's when you'll find it. Once again, what Jesus was doing was showing us that unlike our earthly societal rules and regulation, that there's a bl blessing in subtraction. And that in the losing of your life is when you're going to find purpose and meaning. And this concept is vital for us to understand as believers and true worshipers of Jesus Christ. Uh, hear me that the spiritual does not always mirror the physical world. Uh, and that what goes on in our world does not mean that mentality or ladder to, to success is the same as in the spiritual Hear me, you are now part of a new kingdom. And this is not a consumer-driven kingdom where gaining is the way to success. Because he said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? But rather, when you lose your life for his sake, when you lose your life for his call, hear me, when you lose your life for his purpose, it's then that you'll find it. God was literally instituting this concept that there is a blessing in subtraction. Can I preach to you that we have to get out of our mind and out of the thought patterns of our world. We have to get our thoughts out of this earthly kingdom and into the heavenly kingdom. 
because God does not always work the way that we expect him to work. God does not operate like our government. His ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And Jesus sent this preacher to get someone out of the ditch of depression and confusion you've dug yourself into and simply remind you that God is taking away so that he can bless and multiply in your life. I've come to paint a new narrative and a new picture in somebody's life that is beautiful when God takes away because what's coming next is greater. What God has next for me is better. And when I let go of my will and my ambition, what God has for me may not be what I wanted or expected, but it'll be all that I ever needed. Don't resist the hand of the potter. Don't resist the God who knows your end from your beginning. You got to learn to yield to the hand of God and learn to understand that God loves me so much that he's willing to take things away from me and that I won't hold on to the things that he takes away because there's a blessing everybody's saying. Amen. Let's clap our hands and love the Lord. As we near the end of this sermon, I simply want to look at a few examples here in the book of Matthew that reinforce what we're learning this evening and give us an idea of the different types of subtractions we'll find in our lives. Matthew chapter 9, Bible tells us of a ruler whose name, according to Luke 8, was Jairus. And he had a 12-year-old daughter who had died. Jairus comes to Jesus in verse 18 and tells him, that his daughter is dead, but if he would come and lay his hands on her, that she would live. And so as Jesus heads to this ruler's house, it is here where the woman with the issue of blood grabs a hold of the hem of his garment and is healed instantly. And if we had time, we could preach about how you can never inconvenience God. And even when he's going to work in a different situation, you can grab a hold of something that will change your life. And so in verse 23, when Jesus gets to the house, he saw the minstrels and the people making noise. Because in this time, to show your grief to the passing away of loved ones, what you would do is hire professional mourners and weepers to cry and mourn the loss of your loved ones. So Jesus walks up to all these people and all this commotion and tells them, give him space because she's not dead, she's only asleep. And the Bible tells us that when they hear Jesus say this, they laugh him to scorn. And I want to stop for a moment and tell you that there are things in our life that God wants to bring back to life. There's a revival that God has for this church. But hear me, there is a spirit of mockers and scoffers that when the word of God goes forth prophetically, begins to laugh and cause us to doubt the promises that God has given. There's a spirit of doubt that gets a hold of us at times. Uh, and that's why sometimes we're lethargic about our praise and worship and lethargic uh, about the things of God. Uh, we begin to believe that although God has done the, the miraculous in other places, that it's just not going to happen here. And we begin to get complacent and feel as if outreach, Bible study, prayer, and worship really aren't making a difference. And even as the word of God goes forth, there's a part of us that doubts. We think that it's a little overboard and a little outlandish and that it shouldn't have to take all of that. And this is what the mourners and the people gathered that day thought. And as Jesus told them to give him space, they laughed him to scorn. They were mocking and they were doubting. But watch this, what happens in verse 25. The Bible says, but when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand and the maid arose. It's when the mockers went out that Jesus went in and a miracle took place. Watch this, God first had to remove before he could pour out his spirit. There's a blessing in subtraction. And sometimes we have to allow God to remove the scoffers from our life. Sometimes we have to cut off people who doubt this one God message and act 238 message. 
Sometimes you need to remove people who don't believe in your calling uh, and believe in the dream that God has given you for your life. Uh, because when you remove the mockers and the doubters, uh, Jesus comes in and begins to do a miracle. I'm preaching, you, know, you ought not surround yourself uh, with people who don't believe in your church, uh, who don't believe in your pastor, woo, who don't believe in the vision of the man of God. Uh, come on, I'm telling the mockers got to go out uh, so that Jesus can come in. Uh, and when you get rid of people who don't believe in you, what you'll find uh, is that you'll begin to see things that are dead come back to life. Uh, but it's all predicated on putting forth the doubters and the markers. Jesus said, I refuse to do a miracle in the presence of people who doubt my capability. My question to you tonight is perhaps the reason you're not seeing a miracle is because you're surrounded by people who don't believe what God can do in your life. I'm telling you, you gotta. If they don't believe in, if they don't believe in you, and they don't believe it, you need to get new friends. You gotta find new people to talk to. You gotta find new people to hang out. I only want to be surrounded by people that believe Jesus can take something that's dead and do something beautiful. I want to be surrounded by people that believe that Jesus can take the mess of my life and make me into something beautiful. I don't want to be around people who remind me of what I used to be uh, and how I, woo, I feel the Holy Ghost. Uh, I want to be surrounded by people who says, keep going, you can do it. Uh, any, if any man be in Christ, uh, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold all. So this is a type of subtraction. You got to be sensitive to the spirit of God. You can't live for God for 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years and not be able to understand and perceive when God is nudging you and convicting your heart uh, because God will require you to remove yourself from circles uh, that are not conducive to the pathway forward uh, into the plan of God in your life. Uh, and God will say, before I pour out an anointing, uh, before I give you a ministry, before I give you an anointing, uh, you gotta, I gotta, you got to let me pull you out of some things uh, because there's just some groups I refuse to do the miraculous in. Uh, you got to surround yourself with people who believe that God can do anything, that God can bring the dead back to life, that God can pour out revival in Carson City, that this isn't the last building that this church will have, that there's more people here who need the Holy Ghost, that at any moment God can do anything. Am I surrounded by people who believe that tonight, that believe that God can do anything? Because before Jesus can go in, the mockers have to go out. Again, we see the blessing of subtraction. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12 through 14. This is the infamous scripture where we find Jesus coming to the temple and finding those that exchanged money in the temple. Jesus gets angry, and the Bible tells us uh, he flips over the tables, uh, and he says, my house shall be called a house. Of but the scripture doesn't stop there. The scripture doesn't stop there. Oftentimes, that's the only part we quote. But I want you to understand that when Jesus flipped the tables and Jesus sent out those, amen, that were exchanging money in the temple, you know what verse 14 says? The Bible says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. It wasn't until the money changers went out that those that needed Jesus could come in and be healed. What I'm preaching to you, amen, the body says, no, you're not that your body is the temple. Perhaps the reason that Jesus is not doing a miracle in your temple is because you got to drive out the part of you that is ambitious, uh, that is trying to take advantage of people, amen, that is trying to gain your way to success uh, and say, I'm going to flip over the tables of my heart, uh, amen, so that I, the blind and the lame came in and were healed, uh, amen, when the money exchangers came, went out. Uh, what You got to make room for your miracle. You got to make room for God to do something because uh, sometimes we're so cluttered uh, with the cares of this world uh, that God has no room to work. Uh, we got to let God flip some things over. We got to let God take some things out uh, because when the money changers went out, uh, the blind and the lame came in and were healed in the temple. The blind and the lame would be indicative of the world. And they couldn't find, 
Hey, man, this is where I get in trouble. I start to preach an entire different sermon. I look up. It's 45 minutes, and we got to wrap it up. Well, I want you to understand this. The Bible, when you study it, it's saying that the place that they were selling and exchanging money was the only place that the Gentiles were allowed to come and worship. And so there were all these people that needed miracles in the temple, but they couldn't because there was people taking up room where they could come and be healed. And so Jesus flips over the tables, and then those that are sick were able to come into the church and be healed. What am I saying? Amen. I believe this is a good church, and I'm not putting anybody down. But perhaps sometimes when new people aren't coming in and being changed, we got to make sure there's room for them to come into an atmosphere and be filled with the Holy Ghost and to have their life changed. Amen. Because miracles don't just happen across the world. Miracles just don't happen for the church in the other state, but I believe this can be a place where the blind are healed, where the lame are healed, where devils are cast out, where broken marriages are put back together again, where hearts that are broken can be mended, but we got to make sure there's room for Jesus to heal in the temple. Amen. Let's clap our hands and give God the glory. <laughs> now what we need to be aware of the examples I've given thus far have shown times where humans had to allow God to do the subtraction before he blessed. Jesus was the one that put forth the mockers and then the maid arose. Jesus is the one who drove out the money changers and then the blind and lame came in. But there are also times where God requires you to remove things in order to release the supernatural in your life. There are times where God will step back and wait to see if you're willing to part ways with things in order to obtain what he has for your life. Amen. Let's talk about it. In John chapter 11, verse 39, the infamous story of Lazarus. Bible says, Jesus said, take ye away the stone, Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus waited until Lazarus had died. And he came to Martha, and in order for her brother to come back to life, Jesus didn't remove the stone. He said, you remove the stone. And the Bible says that when Martha rolled away the stone, it was then that Jesus cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. But I want to liken this tomb to something today. There are a lot of us that have skeletons in the closet. We have stones over tombs of darkness and despair. And the reason that we won't roll away the stone is not because we don't trust God to heal us, but it's too damaging and too hurtful to remember. I'm telling you, it was a traumatic event for Martha to uncover her brother that she loved. It was a hard thing for her to do, to uncover her brother who had passed away. But Jesus said, amen, I want you to remove the stone to your pain and to your hurt, and I'm going to speak into the tomb and bring forth life. What am I saying? Amen. There are some of us who have had traumatic pasts. There are some of us who have been abused. There are some of us who have been hurt and broken. But hear me today. God doesn't want you to just put it out of your mind. God wants you to roll away the stone. Amen. Because there are some of you that aren't experiencing joy. Amen. Because of something that's been done in the past. And you think that you could just leave the stone and forget it ever happened and walk forward. But God is saying, roll away the stone. I want to get into those details. I want to get into the skeletons in the closet so I can teach you how to really love and I can teach you how to really trust in me. I'm preaching to somebody today. You got to trust God enough to roll away the stone to your hurt, to your brokenness, to your trauma, and to your pain and say, God, I'm, really, I'm ready for real healing. I'm ready to have real peace and joy. I'm preaching to somebody tonight. Amen. You, you have on a suit and you have on a dress. But if you're honest, amen, there's darkness in your past. There's darkness. And I'm preaching in the Holy Ghost to somebody right now. Hear me. God is telling you, remove the stone. And I'm going to speak life. And I'm going to heal you. I'm going to heal your mind. I'm going to heal your heart. And guess what? He could do it tonight. He could do it tonight. You don't have to cry yourself to sleep at night. You don't have to wrestle with those thoughts anymore. If you would trust God enough to roll away the stone, 
Jesus will speak life and say, Lazarus, come forth. But we have to trust God enough to uncover some things that have been dead and buried and allow him to begin to put the pieces back together. Can we lift our hands right now and pray all over this house? God. I'm preaching this because there's some of us who don't understand that whether you're consciously thinking it of it or not, there are things that happen in the past that are causing you to walk funny in your present. There are things in your past that you haven't dealt with that is causing you to stumble. Amen. That's causing you heartache in today. But what God wants to do is he wants to heal you tonight so that you can walk forward in true freedom and true peace. You're in the presence of the Prince of Peace. You can leave here with peace tonight. You're in the presence of a God who has joy unspeakable, that's full of glory. You can leave here with the joy of the Lord. Amen. Hear me. I don't know why I'm preaching here. Amen. But I feel in the Holy Ghost to talk to somebody right now. Hear me. God can heal depression. God can heal anxiety. God can heal stress. God can fix your mind. God can fix your heart. Uh, you don't have to always feel like a con. And because there's some of us who have imposter syndrome. Because we come in here and our brothers and sisters are around, so we run, we dance, we shout because we want them to think that everything's okay. But when we go home, there's a war that's going on. Uh, there's a war that's going on in our mind and in our heart. I'm telling you today, if you trust Jesus enough uh, and open up the closet, open up the stone, uh, God is going to heal you tonight. Uh, God is going to set you free tonight. I believe there can be broken chains in this house tonight. If you trust God enough to roll away the stone. Amen. I'm hurrying. Again, we see this requirement in Mark chapter 10, verse 49 through 52. This is the, the story where blind Bartimaeus calls out to Jesus as he's passing by. Uh, and he says, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. I want you to notice, though, what Bartimaeus does before Jesus heals him. The Bible says, as he called out to Jesus, they called to the blind man. They said, be of good comfort. Rise, he calleth thee. The Bible says that that blind man cast away his garment and rose and came to Jesus. In those days, if you were crippled, if you had a blindness or you were lame, they would allow you to wear a special coat that signified that you were crippled, whether you were blind, you were lame, so that you had permission to beg and ask money of people. And so what this scripture is indicating that before the blind man ever came to Jesus, he took off the coat that identified him as blind. And then he went to Jesus and Jesus healed him. What am I saying? There are some of us here that are living under labels. Perhaps it was parents that placed it on you. Perhaps, uh, amen, it, it was rogue leaders who told you or, or, or teachers who told you, you'll never amount to anything. You'll never be anything. Uh, hear me today. God wants you to cast off that garment uh, and walk forward to him so that he can heal you. Before God can bless you and heal you, you got to take the, off that garment that identifies you as a nobody, as a loser, as somebody who will never. Uh, you got to shake that thing off. Uh, that was an act of faith. Uh, he took off the coat before Jesus ever healed him of his blindness. Come on, you got to take some things off uh, before you even approach the altar. You got to say, I'm laying this thing down tonight, uh, and I'm not walking out of here the same way I came in. Before I approach Jesus, I'm not a blind man no more. Uh, come on, I'm not a loser anymore. I'm not a gambler anymore. I'm not a drug addict anymore. Come on, you got to shake some labels off uh, and walk forward and be healed uh, by the power of Jesus. Because sometimes God does the subtraction. And sometimes you have to do the subtraction. Uh, amen. Sometimes God takes away. Uh, and sometimes you have to take away. Either way, your blessing is in subtraction. And your breakthrough is in the takeaway. I'm preaching that there's a blessing in subtraction. Can we all stand all over this house as my wife comes to play? Amen. I want to close with this. In the book of Ezra and Haggai, they're closely related. Many of the events and the timelines are crossing over in both books. I want to take just a few moments, a few more moment, moments to lay this out for you here tonight. What you're seeing is something very profound. Remember, 
that in Ezra and Haggai, what we're dealing with is that Israel had been captive. Now they were set free. They were trying to rebuild the temple, but there was very slow progress. Very slow progress for a lot of different reasons we can't get into tonight. But the Bible says, watch this. So, so basically where we're at, they're trying to rebuild the temple now that they're free. The Bible says the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord. They set the priests in their apparels with trumpets and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, the king of Israel. This was a joyous moment. They sang together by course and praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good and his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. But watch this. All the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. They were rejoicing because they had finally put together a foundation for the building and the rebuilding of the temple. But watch this. Watch this. Bible says that many of the priests and Levites and chiefs of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, they wept with a loud voice. Many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. Let me tell you what's happening here. There were people there present who had seen the first temple that Solomon had built. It was beautiful. The statistics you can get into with the, the temple of Solomon is profound even in today's standards. The amount of gold and silver people would travel from across the world to see the temple of Solomon. And there were ancient men, there were elders who had stood and ministered in the, in the temple of Solomon. That when they saw the foundation that was laid, they wept. You want to know why they wept? Because they were looking at something that looked insignificant. And they're saying, even from the very foundation, I can tell that what you're building is not going to be as great as, it was, as what was before. They were weeping because they were saying, how can this be as great as what we had in the past? Haggai picks up on this in Haggai 2, 3 through 9. He says, who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory, Solomon's temple? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison as it is nothing? He's saying, even now you're looking at this and saying, this is nothing. It's not going to amount to anything. There's no way this can be as great as it used to be. Watch this. He says, yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Watch this. He says, yet once in a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Watch this. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. You may say in this house, how could this temple be as great as the former temple? How can what God is building now be as great as what was built in the past? Uh, Solomon's temple had gold. It brought people from all over the world. Uh, and then how will this temple be as great as what was built before? Solomon's temple had the gold, but you know what else it had? It had animal sacrifice. And only the priests could go into the Holy of Holies. But Haggai, I feel the Holy Ghost 2 and 7 says the desire of all nations would come. You know who the desire of all nations is? It's Jesus. And Solomon's temple may have gold, but it had animal sacrifice. But when Jesus came, the glory he brought to that temple was greater than all the treasures and the glory of Solomon's temple. You know who would walk through the doors of that temple with the little foundation? Jesus would come. And when he was crucified and he died for our sins, the veil was rent. And now you had access to what only one man had access to. What am I saying? The glory of the latter house will be greater than that of the former house. Because when Jesus came in, it made that temple greater than anything that Solomon had built in the past. 
And I've come to preach to somebody today. You're looking at your life, or perhaps you're looking at those that have gone on before you, and you're saying, there's no way I can amount to that. There's no way I could be great, but I'm telling you, amen, the glory of the latter house will be greater than that of the former house. What God is going to do is going to be even greater than what he's done in the past. Amen. Not because we're special, but God, amen, has ordained for the church to end with victory, to go out with triumph, amen, to fight devils and battles, amen, that require a supernatural level of faith. And I'm preaching to somebody right now. What God is going to do in your life is greater than what he's done in the past. And what God has for your life is greater than the former temple. Hear this preacher, every hand lifted, every eye closed. There are some former temples that have to go away. There's some, tr some subtraction that has to take place so the king of glory can come in. There are many of us who make statements. I want to get my old prayer life back. I want to worship like I used to worship. Hear me, you don't need your old prayer life. You don't need the old way you used to worship. If it was good enough, it would have sustained you to this moment. I don't need an old prayer life. I need a new prayer life. I don't need my old word. I need new worship. I need new consecration. Hear me, it's time to let go of the past so you can grab the future that Jesus has for you. It's time to get a fresh anointing, and it's time to let go of what God is trying to take away. Every hand lifted, every eye closed as we begin to pray. These altars are open. I've come to preach to somebody. I don't know if you're in this house and you're Bartimaeus. You got you to gotta take off some labels. I don't know if you need to roll some stone away. I don't know if you need to let Jesus come in and cast out the money changers. But there's a blessing in subtraction. There's a blessing in subtraction. And if you let God take away, I'm telling you, the glory of the latter house will be greater than that of the former. But you got to trust God enough to let him take it away. He said you could trade your joy, you could trade your sorrow for joy. You could trade your mourning for dancing. Yeah, da 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 Come on, there's a wave of the Holy Ghost that's about to hit this place right now. There's a wave of the Holy Ghost uh, that's about to hit this place right now. Somebody let God take it away right now. Let God take away the pain. Let God take away the hurt. Uh, let God take away, uh, amen, the remarks uh, of parents who didn't love you uh, and people who didn't believe in you. Uh, and let Jesus speak peace in this house. Come on, I'm telling you right now, if somebody will say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, you're going to leave here changed. You're going to leave here filled. You're going to leave here with joy. Let God take it away right now. Let God take it away right now. Come on, let God take it away. Come on, come on, pour it out to Jesus right now. Don't let this be another midweek. Somebody pour your heart out to God. Talk to him about the past. Talk to him about the darkness. Talk to him about the pain, the hurt. Talk to him about the things you dream. Ask him, God, why are you taking this away from me? I feel in the spirit to tell somebody he has something better if you let go in this house. Come on, I may not be preaching to you, but we need to find somebody in this altar that's praying and crying. Lay your hands on them and begin to pray for them. Come on, there's a blessing in subtraction.
on just a few more moments it'd be very easy to just dismiss this service but i'm talking to some if you're tired of wrestling with what you're wrestling i want you to pray in the holy ghost right now god wants to break some chains in this place god wants to break some chains in this house come on lift up your voice and lift up your hands God, if the darkness brought me to your marvelous light, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, I know it wasn't in vain. I know the herd wasn't in vain, but it's building a pattern of mercy. It's building a testimony. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Lift your voice in this house.
glory. Less of me and more of you is what I need. Show me your glory. Show me your power. Less of me and more of you is what I need. Need your glory. I want your glory. Less of me, more of you is what I need. Show me your glory. Show me your power. Less of me and more of you is what I need. Need your mercy. I need your grace. I need your help. Leading the way. Can't make it without you. Not for one day, I need your mercy. I need your you're praying, go ahead and continue praying. What a beautiful presence of the Lord that we feel in this place tonight. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Brother Polar, for preaching such a timely and anointed message to this congregation. I know it definitely ministered to me, and I believe it ministered to many others across this house. Um, beautiful presence of the Lord that we feel in this, in this house tonight. Um, you're praying and, and you feel as though it's appropriate, go ahead and continue to pray. Um, let's try not to disturb what's going on in the, in the house tonight. Um, but God bless each and every one of you. Um, and we'll meet back here on, uh, on Sunday in Jesus' name. <laughs>